shot podcast thursday january 20th 2022 today i will be talking with uh, nicholas sarantakis uh, associate professor at the united states naval war college and author of a number of books on the second world war and more importantly for today's discussion uh, two books on the collision of sports and politics his book dropping the torch specifically discusses the carter presidency and the 1980 olympic boycott uh, I actually have a bit of a personal connection to this story, as my grandfather would have competed in those games in the star-class sailboat. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing the history of Olympic boycotts and political action at the Olympics, and the reasons for and consequences of the U.S. diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Beijing Games coming up here in, in a couple weeks. Uh, Nicholas, thank you for being here. Give, please give us some background on yourself. Well, uh, my name is Nick Sarantakis. I'm an associate professor of strategy at the U.S. Naval War College, where I've worked since 2008. I am a historian. I have a Ph.D. in history from the University of Southern California, and I generally write on periods and topics after 1939. So I do U.S. foreign policy, U.S. military history, U.S. political history, basically of recent America. Great. Uh, I was introduced to you. I saw your lecture uh, at the Naval War College uh, earlier this month. And for anyone interested, we're going to add a link to that in the show details. If you want to check it out, I highly suggest you do. Um, let's start off. Can you give us a summary of the history you spoke about in that lecture, uh, kind of a greatest hits of politics at the Olympics, if you will? Well, politics at the Olympics, the modern Olympics, starts at the beginning in the 1896 Athens Games. That is where the Greek royal family tries to take over the Olympics. One of the reasons they, they try to do this is because they're trying to kind of bolster their Greekness, if you will. And the Greek royal family is not really Greek. They're Danish. It's an offshoot of the Danish royal family. And they are seen as foreigners, which is not surprising because they are. But a lot of royal families, because of intermixing and stuff, essentially the British royal family, they're Germans. They've changed their name to Windsor, but uh, until 1917, it was Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. So anyway, that's when Olympic uh, politics start. And then there are all sorts of issues that uh, take a hop, skip, and a jump throughout. Uh, there's controversies about whether or not the host nation judges are biased or not. Uh, that comes up in 1908 uh, when British judges disqualify an American runner and the next person gets the gold medal while well, he happened to be British. And so you see these kind of controversies and you see those controversies throughout the Olympics from then till now, because there's always controversies about uh, judges, particularly in the Cold War. And statistical studies have found that, you know, yeah, there was some bias uh, in the Cold War judging when those subjective events. Uh, what you really see is politics takes gets uh just jumps on steroids and you know no pun intended just gets big with uh, the 1936 berlin olympics uh that was where you know the germans held and uh, held the games and this was an effort initially to try and show that germany had recovered from world war one the olympics are given to berlin 
before the Nazis come to power. And by the time the Olympics are held, the Nazis are in power. And the Nazis initially have wanted nothing to do with the Olympics. And then after this, they say, hey, you know, this is a great platform to manipulate. So, you know, you see it get a lot bigger there with ideas of propaganda and the manipulation of soft power. In 1952, taking an even uh, bigger jump, uh, you see basically the start of the Cold War in the Olympics. The Olympics are held in Helsinki, Finland, and that's the first time the Soviet Union shows up. Suddenly, you have this race between the United States and Soviet Union, between Warsaw, Pact nations, and NATO nations over the subsequent Olympiads about who wins more medals, etc. I'm not sure actually that really matters, and I'll give you a little bit, bit of historical trivia. The United States finishes a distant, very distant third to Soviet Union and East Germany in the 1988 Olympics in the in medal count, and those two countries cease to exist. In fact, East Germany ceased to exist very quickly after those Olympics. So I'm not sure medal counting uh, really mattered in the outcome of the Cold War, but uh, boycotts start becoming a tool to be used in Olympic history in 1956. A number of nations boycott the Olympics. They're held in Australia, and it had nothing to do with Australians. But at that same time, the Soviets had invaded Hungary, basically as a way to kind of keep their socialist government from becoming a more or less communist. And they basically are saying, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not going to have you go neutral on us or switch sides. So there's a Soviet invasion of Hungary that does not go well for the Hungarians. And a lot of people say, okay, we're not going to compete with the Soviets. We are not going to pretend this is business as usual. Was so, that the, the blood in the water match? Was that that, yes. uh, that Olympics? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, uh, the Hungarian, the, what that refers to is there's a very nasty uh, water polo contest between the Hungarian team and the Soviet team. And there's literally the water's pink when the uh, g g game is over. Excuse me. Uh, and then afterwards they drain the pool and they find that there were brass knuckles and clubs and knives and at the bottom of the pool. And, uh, every time it's a rough sport to begin with, but, uh, every time the Hungarians had a shot, uh, they would take a shot and, you know, punch a Soviet player in the nose with brass knuckles or, you know, kick him or whatever. So that was, a oh, the first boycotted Olympics. And then you start seeing boycotts in 64, and that had to do with Indonesia not being allowed to attend. And so China organizes a boycott to, you know, because Indonesia had competed in some athletic events in China. Uh, and then, you know, 76 is the first, and then that's another boycott of African nations being angry at New Zealand, of all things. And then 1980 uh, is when Jimmy Carter organizes or orders a, an Olympic boycott because of the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And then 84 is a Soviet response. And then 88, yeah, there's a boycott there. No one cares because it's Cuba and North Korea. And people learned their lesson and pretty much stopped boycotting. And now we have the first boycott in uh, some 20 or 30 years. Yeah, and and and... What do you think really pushed the the U.S. over the edge? Was, was it a just rash of news coming out about? Because it is specifically about the Uyghur situation, correct? I, I listened to Jen Psaki's uh, explanation, but it was it was last week. Um, do you want to run us through her her explanation of it? Well, she makes an announcement in early December that the United States will organize a diplomatic boycott, and I'm putting diplomatic boycott in air quotes because. 
it, that it's kind of invented uh, earlier in the year by Mitt Romney. And what happened is, yes, it, first off, it is about the Uyghurs. Uh, she does not come out and explicitly say it, but she says it's about human rights, and that's what the issue is. That's the human rights issue with with China. So, uh, and the Uyghur community, there have been plenty of Uyghur activists who have been pushing and agitating on this. Their cause is just. Don't get me wrong. They have been, they're fighting a, a righteous cause, and what's happening in China is unacceptable. It's bad. We can use a lot of stronger words, but um, there is no other side of the argument. So the idea of a diplomatic boycott is developed by Mitt Romney, who was trying to figure out how to not cooperate with the Chinese, but not sacrifice the athletes. And one of the great lessons to be learned of looking at all these boycotts is they don't work. The only people who suffer are the athletes who are not allowed to attend. The people who you're boycotting normally are not punished. So the Soviets in 1956 were not punished. The Soviets in 1980 were not punished. When the Soviets organized a boycott of the United States in 1984, we were not punished. So Mitt Romney was trying to figure out a way to square the circle, and he came up with the idea of a diplomatic and economic boycott. And it basically is, since about 2000, the International Olympic Committee has been asking nation states to send official delegations to the games. And it's like the International Olympic Movement likes to believe that it's a peace movement. It brings the world together for a few weeks, once every four years. And we put it aside our differences and we kind of marvel in the, the athletic achievements of people all over the planet. And we root for a team, but we're, it's all good, clean fun and all this sort of stuff. Okay, there's actually an element of truth to be said for that. Okay, so they asked dealt people to start sending, you know, representatives, their prime minister, their king, their um, president, what have you. This starts around 2000, and it's very ceremonial. It's there are not any kind of official summits going on or people talking. It's you know politicians being in the stands, and then NBC can go interview President Bush or the Queen of England or whatever. Uh, so. The real highlight of this is 2008 when the Chinese at the Summer Olympics get about 70 heads of state to actually come to the game. So, but this is a fairly new phenomenon. And when we're talking about the Olympics, it's hard for people to recognize that the national Olympic committees that organize the teams are private organizations. Now in China, that's probably not the case, but that's a communist system. And okay, that's a little different, but pick any European country, Canada, the United States, Mexico, you know, Brazil. These are private organizations. They do not represent the foreign ministry, the State Department, the national government. So to expect them to carry the weight of their foreign policy is a little bit much. And as I pointed out earlier, who won gold medals at the Olympics had very little to do with who ended up winning the Cold War. So the idea is you will have, you know, it gives them a little bit more authority, prestige, this idea of being a peace movement. Okay. Yay. Well, Mitt Romney said, let's not send a delegation. Okay. Now, what does that do? Not very much, but you know, it's a public sign of virtue. You know, we're not, we have a problem here. Yeah. And one second, can you, for, uh, for those of us in my generation who don't remember Mitt Romney's Olympic connection, can you quickly summarize why he is even talking about the Olympics and his history? Yeah, Mitt Romney was the Republican nominee for president in 2012, 
Before that, he had a very successful career in business, and he got out of that. He made a fortune and was governor of Massachusetts. But before that, he organized the Salt Lake City Olympics in 2002. And it was actually very responsible. He used a lot of his administrative talents to uh, save the situation. There was a huge scandal involving the Olympics. IOC members had been bribed to vote uh, to send the games to Utah. Uh, people actually ended up going to jail over this. Um, it was embarrassing. Facilities weren't being developed. Mitt Romney uses all his uh, skill and really saves the situation. Moves to Utah, leaves Massachusetts, all this sort of good stuff. And he came, and he, as he says, he came to respect the achievements of the athletes. And here's the thing. Olympic athletes are competing primarily for the love of the sport. Okay. If you are competing in archery, that has about as much public following in Japan or Brazil as it does in the United States, which is to say not as, much. As a, as a rower, I understand that very well. <laughs> yeah. You are not going to get a contract to play in the NFL because you rowed. Uh, you are not getting, you know, major league teams who want to look at your arm and stuff like this. So, you know, oh, well, he pulled the you know, pulled those rows fast. There's not a professional, you know, crew league or, you know, anything like this. So most athletes competing in the Olympics are competing, competing for personal honor, glory, love of sport, et cetera. Even in, country, in Norway, which is an Olympic winter sports superpower, I have a student right now who's Norwegian. He said, no, none of those sports really have much public following. Uh, the big sport in Norway is what you guys call soccer, what we call football. So, okay. Um, so Mitt Romney had an incredible love of these guys. And he said, okay, I don't want to sacrifice these guys because they're, they're, it's not like they're going to we're taking a payday from them. Every once in a while, one gets a big payday, but, you know, a Michael Phelps or, you know, someone like Michael Jordan, who's already kind of big to start off with. But, you know, anyway, he said, we have to figure out a way to stick it to the, to the Chinese. And the idea is don't give them this official sanction of having any kind of representatives of the White House. And also don't have people go to China, tourists, American tourists, and have them spend their money buying tickets, you know, buying trinkets, all this sort of stuff. Keep them home. Let them feel it where it counts in the pocketbook. So it's an effort to square the circle. And the Biden administration basically says, okay, we're going to be righteous. We're not going to cooperate. And it's because of the Uyghurs that it's crafted a little bit better than that. But uh, if you read it, pay attention, it's pretty clear. And, um, you know, that's why we're going to do this. Now, they're not going to prevent athletes from going because that would be cruel and that would just be a self-inflicted wound but we aren't going to send a delegation. Now, the administration has said very little about the other part of Romney's proposal, which is economics. And there's a reason for that. Because of COVID, the Chinese have basically said, we're not going to let anyone come to the Olympics. So I suspect it might be a lot like Tokyo, which is to say, there are going to be people competing to empty stands. So, uh, and that's probably going to end up costing them money. I'm just, I would suspect Tokyo lost a bundle I'm sure that'll be the case. And that kind of neutralizes a great deal of Mitt Romney's original proposal. Yeah, I was going to bring that up next because I think that China announced that fairly recently since our announcement. I was wondering if you thought there was any influence on the Biden administration's decision. Do you think that really turned the table and the Chinese said, well, we're going to just 
not invite you anyway? Do you, do you think that anything, or I know their COVID situation is fairly, I mean, it's, it's bad in the U S but the, the Chinese vaccines aren't working and it's, it's out of control over there in some areas. Um, not if you, you read think, official communist party propaganda. Oh, of course not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they so, stay, the um, population's still growing if you listen to them too. So, <laughs> and there's no COVID um, in North Korea at all. So, yeah. Um, which is a different you, country. But, but do you uh, think that, do you think that the Biden administration's decision had anything to do with pushing G over the G and his buddies over the edge to say, Hey, nobody come anyway. No, they were, there were indications that this was, they were going to do this from beforehand. So, uh, I think they, um, they, they were, they were saying that before and, and after. So in one sense, I was a little surprised that the Biden administration decided to do this because the Chinese had kind of, uh, inoculated themselves, no pun intended, uh, from, a boycott by just saying it's too dangerous. We're not going to have people come, or at least I think the original statement was we're only going to allow Chinese individuals to come to the games. Uh, we're not going to bring in foreigners or allow dirty foreigners to come in. They didn't say dirty, but that's what they meant. But anyway, um, do do you think that, uh, or um, do you think that the long term effects of of this are going to like what is the health of the olympic movement moving is it affected by this is this bad i mean two in a row covid olympics with nobody there you t- you talked about it in the beginning it was this this movement i remember in your talk you, in the lecture you you spoke about um it was really started by these gentlemen who wanted to make it a a bring everybody together type thing do do you think that the olympic movement has gone back at all well, this can't be good for them. The last time you had a global pandemic was right during World War One, and afterwards. So you kind of got a pass on that because the Spanish influenza epidemic of 1918-1920 was burning out by the time you have the Antwerp Olympics in 1920. So you never really had to deal with it. This is the first time really since the Olympics started that you have to deal with a pandemic. And the mission of the International Olympic Committee is to organize the Olympics. That's it. That is the only thing they do. And for them not to hold the Olympics is for them not to have their purpose. So they really are determined, really determined to go forward with the Olympics. I thought that they showed some incredible tone deafness in in insisting that they go forward with Tokyo. And in fact, it probably was not in Tokyo's economic interests because there are probably non-performance clauses. The games were actually held, so corporate sponsors had to pay. But you know, there was no one there. So you know, what what benefit do you get from you know having you know signs in the stadium or ad, TV ads on you know during the commercial breaks if no one's there? You know, so I'm sure the corporations that were sponsoring this was not good. The Olympics is very strong, or at least it was before Tokyo economically speaking. And that's been a major reason, I believe, why for pretty much 30 years, no one messed with the Olympics. It was, they had figured out ways to get, make money and they had reserves. In 1980, they were operating with about three to $5 million. That was their total budget. Uh, before Tokyo, they, they're making about half a billion dollars every four years. So, uh, and that number is probably not right. It's it's something like a quarter million, quarter billion every four years. They're making long story made short. They're making a significant amount of money, and they had holdings and reserves of a, almost just under a billion dollars. So, 
you know, in the 60s and 70s, this was an organization that was going from hand to mouth. And one of the big reasons for this wealth is that they figured out corporate sponsorship. Okay. And having no one at the games is bad for corporates, uh, corporations that are sponsoring the games. And they're like, well, guys, this isn't what we signed up for. So, yes, it does pose some serious long-term I'm not sure what the right word is. Threat might be the right word. Um, concern for their future economic health. And I don't know how much they burned through the, their holdings uh, on the Tokyo Olympics. I'm sure that was probably something they lost money on. I'm sure that's something Tokyo lost money on. Um, the problem, the, I mean, the Olympics have strengths and weaknesses. Uh, some of the strengths are, you know, they've figured out who's going to host their games until 2032. So, and they've put them in politically reliable countries, Paris in 24, Los Angeles in 28, in Brisbane, Australia in 32. So they're set for the next 10 years, which for the Olympics is kind of good. Do you you expect to see a Chinese retaliation at either the LA or, I mean, if Australian Chinese relations keep going the way they are currently, which is really bad, um, mm. I, I can't see them going to Brisbane with the same situation going on. Although that, that is a, the Chinese could do a lot in the next couple, the next 10 years before that. Yeah. The, the short answer to your question is yes. I expect to see some type of retaliation. What that retaliation will look like is a whole different uh, story. And it's altogether possible. They could take the high road and just say, you know, the Americans messed with the games. We're not going to, we're not going to be like that. That does not seem likely if you pay attention to communist, the Chinese Communist Party official party line, which has changed officially originally. And this is prestigious. This is a great sign of China's growing importance and sovereignty and blah, 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 and all these sort of good things. You know, Communist Party of China, wave of the future. And once they started getting targeted for a boycott, they said, oh, sports and politics should never mix. Well, that's kind of new. I mean, that's a 180 degree reversal of their general approach to life. Everything's about politics. So it's possible there'll be retaliation uh, against Los Angeles, maybe even Brisbane. Um, So, you know, I'm a historian. My stock portfolio suggests that I don't know very much about predicting the future. So that I'm going to say yes. Um, the Olympic movement faces some serious problems too. Obviously they have to worry about the financial ramifications. If now that they basically have an Olympics every two years, cause they took the Olymp- winter Olympics off cycle, uh, you know, the COVID COVID situation is going to hurt them until it gets fixed. And I have no idea how that long that takes. I would like it to be over, you know, in a matter of months, but it, if we're still dealing with this in three years, I wouldn't be surprised. So I, I'm hoping uh, I, I'm hoping that is not the case, but okay. Uh, I mean, we're going to pivot away from China for a second here, okay. um, and, and again, I'm going to ask you to do what you just said. You don't do well, which is predict the future. And um, <laughs> we we know that we know that Mr. Putin uh, tends to do get a little bit antsy and act during the Olympics. Um, he he did during Sochi. Um, yeah. Do you think that uh, with that whole situation, I don't know how 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 red in you are on that but um do you think that there's going to be any movement or any or any political snafus at the olympics uh about what's going on there 
probably not. The Winter Olympics are not that important to everyone. So, and I, I what I mean by that is there are plenty of countries that they do not really do Winter Olympics at all. Um, you know, the, the United States is not a strong winter sports superpower. We historically are about fourth or fifth in the, in the rankings. Norway wins medals all the time. Um, they're smaller than the Summer Olympics. They're in smaller locations. They're not in large media markets. All sorts of things suggest that the Winter Olympics are fairly small. With that said, yeah, there are some dangerous indicators that the Russians are going to do something in the Ukraine. I mean, it's you know, it's building up. So it's a little um, bit a la the Hungary situation almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it has echoes of that. Thank God there's no uh, water polo at the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Well, in 2008, I, if memory serves me, uh, Russia smacked around Georgia a little bit just before the game started or during the uh, Beijing game. So in one sense, if the world's attention is over here, this is a great time to smack someone over there. So that's possible. I don't think it's going to be coordinated, but uh, that's just more an educated guess than anything else. Perfect. Um, that's that's all the questions I had for today. I have to. Uh, I'm going to end with with sort of a personal question. If you are watching the Olympics, what's your favorite? Uh, let's do a summer favorite and a winter favorite Olympic sport of yours. Well, this is going to be sound typical. Um, uh, I really. I'm not a big hockey fan. I live in Rhode Island, so uh, hockey is kind of a, a native sport up here. So I'll go with hockey. I'm a I'm a typical American. I become a fan of hockey once every four years in the Winter Olympics. So uh, a lot of the other, I mean, I loved I love to ski. My knees don't particularly allow me to do it, but I, I love watching them. I know how how difficult that is. So the um, I don't know how much longer we're going to have Winter Olympics because of global warming. Well, we might actually have them for a while, but they're going to have to put them in um, venues that are higher up in elevation to because they're having problems getting enough snow. And I think so. Uh, Beijing is going to be completely artificial. So, uh, you know, I, I like skiing and I like ice hockey. When it comes to um, the summer games, uh, it's going to surprise you. I, I was the archery instructor at my Boy Scout summer camp, so I like watching archery. Uh, so, and the volleyball and the ba- basketball games are particularly rewarding as well. Great. Love to hear it. Great answer. Um, well, that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Um, this has been the Pike and Shot podcast. Over and out. <laughs>